0: Our scripture for this evening comes from Genesis chapter 31. And before we look at that text, just a quick explanation. We're going to jump right into the middle of a long uh, uh, story episode, if you will, in the life of Jacob. And I had to make a decision whether I uh, just read the text and sat down Uh, I was hesitant to do that because it resounds with uh, something that happened to me when I was a seminary student. Um, We were directed to preach a a sermon on a narrative passage and after I had read the narrative passage and after I had preached on the narrative passage, uh, the professor got up and said, Mr. Curry, if what you really wanted was to have dramatic effect You would have been better off reading the text and sitting down. Um, With that in mind, I'm going to condense the text just a little bit, and uh, we will begin uh, reading uh, chapter 32 of Genesis at uh, the 24th uh, verse. Uh, uh, I said chapter uh, 32, I think, but it's really chapter uh, 31, and we'll begin at uh, verse uh, 24, which is in the middle of a paragraph. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen put out, what, point out what, it, what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went to Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let my lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. And Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before your kinsmen and my kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I have borne the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of My father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagur-Sahadutha, but uh, Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and mispa For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of your father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you and ask for your guidance as we study your word. We come to you with confidence because we know that you are the author of, your, of this word. We know, Holy Spirit, that you guided in the writing down of it, and so we ask that you will guide us in our study of it. Enable us and not only to understand what it is that happened, but enable us also to see ourselves in your word And we pray, O Lord, that as we see ourselves, we will be better equipped to serve you. And we ask that you will grant this mercy to us because we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, summer approaches, uh, some of you are probably busy planning your vacation. Uh, It's a time of anticipation, if you will. Uh, You look forward to excitement. You look forward to just time to uh, be away. And Regardless of how well your vacation goes, whether it surpasses all your anticipations or it falls way short of your expectations, you no doubt also will be looking forward to coming back home after your vacation. Some of you no doubt have at one time or another been in an automobile on your way coming home and the father who is driving says, Shall we look for a place to stay tonight, or shall we press on home uh, to get home tonight? And the chorus comes from the car, let's go home, I want to sleep in my own bed. Uh, This idea of going home is something that that, uh, uh, just makes sense to us. It grips us, if you will, in a certain kind of a way. And we meet Jacob tonight, along with his family, but Jacob in particular, as they set out to return to Jacob's home. Now, Jacob has been away from his home for 20 years, and these years have not been easy years for Jacob. If you listen to what I read this evening, he he talks about that, he complains about that. These have been years of uh, great difficulty and also great uh, disappointment. And and much of the unpleasantness that uh, Jacob experienced over these uh, 20 years has been caused by his father-in-law, his father-in-law Laban. And over those, over those 20 years, Laban has done all sorts of uh, deceitful, underhanded kinds of things, uh, uh, uh to keep Jacob in Padanaram. Uh, when he recognized uh, by divination that uh, blessing came to him because God was blessing Jacob, he tried everything he could to keep Jacob around. He sought to to benefit from those those blessings by just having Jacob there so that Jacob would bring the blessing of God. <clears throat> and in our text today, we see that things have changed a little bit over those 20 years. Uh, the last time when we looked at this text, we saw that Jacob, that, uh, uh, that the best blessings that had come upon Jacob were now coming, if you will, at the expense of Laban. And so that's where we find ourselves uh, this evening as we look at this text. Our passage sets out that Jacob's return from this place called Padnarum. That is where uh, uh, Laban was, and that's where his two daughters were. And as a matter of fact, at this point, that's where also all of Jacob's children were. And there are several different reasons the text sets out for us as to why Jacob wants to return back to his place again. Remember, uh, Paddan Aram was a temporary place, if you will, uh, for Jacob. Uh, He had only gone there uh, for what he thought was a short period of time to find a wife. Uh, But things have changed. and, and, And the first clue we have of this is found back in the very beginning of the chapter, not the part that I read. But he hears about what his brother-in-laws are say, brothers-in-law are saying about him, and they claim that Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. Now, Jacob's a foreigner. Jacob is the odd man out in Padan Aram, if you will. <coughs> and so the discontent of his brothers-in-law must have been a bit disconcerting to Jacob. Not only have Laban's sons soured on Jacob, but so has Laban. The second verse of this chapter we read, um, it tells us, And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. When Jacob makes his plea to his wives to accompany him as he leaves this land, he tells them in verse 5, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. So, so one of the reasons Jacob is going is he's no longer the, the darling son-in-law who brings profit to his greedy father-in-law. That's at least one reason he's leaving. But Jacob also is very clear that he's just exasperated with the treatment that he has gotten from Laban. Uh, he, he not only discerns his changed status but but he feels the unfair ways in which Laban has taken advantage of him uh, a couple of times in this text Jacob says you know I worked for you I did all these kinds of things for Laban and he cheated me and he changed my wages 10 times uh, we don't know if Jacob is uh, saying it was exactly 10 times or that's a way in which we would say you know dozens of times he's changed it it may be an aphorism for just over and over again. As a matter of fact, that's the way the New American Standard Bible translates it. Uh, but Jacob claims this service, and it's, it's a service that, that that he has been really uh, involved with, a part that I read about him being awake at night, being cold, hot, uh, you know, having to bear the brunt of, of, of uh, uh, reimbursing for stolen uh, uh, livestock, for uh, murdered or killed livestock. All these things are going on. And so Jacob is exasperated with the unfair treatment that has characterized his relationship with labor since the very beginning. He's also, uh, as he plans his escape, he wants to make sure that his wives are on board with his plans. So what he does is he invites them out in the field, out in the field where no one can hear what he's talking about as he sets out his plans, and then he sets out his plans uh, uh, to uh, to his wives. He makes his case for leaving their home and going to his home. And uh, as we read, both uh, Rachel and Leah agree with Jacob. It's it's time to go. It's time for them to leave. And the reason for saying it's time for them to leave is because they, like Jacob, have also been victimized by their own father. I mean, they talk about him as uh, uh, treating them like slaves and uh, selling them off like slaves. And uh, instead of giving Jacob a wage when he served both for uh, Rachel and for Leah, as would have been the custom, and then that uh, wage would have been turned into, a dowry and part of that dowry would then have gone to uh, to the women I mean both Rachel and Leah would have received some of this uh, they say that he has devoured what they call their money uh, so so we see that that they are uh, put out with uh, with their father Laban and as uh, they as they make both Rachel and Leah claim, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. You Remember, we read that the last verse of the last chapter that Jacob just had grown in wealth, in livestock, and in servants and things. And that came at the expense of Laban. But Laban's daughters are saying, that really belongs to us and to our children. Not only is it uh, not only is it uh, dangerous because of uh, the change of uh, Laban and his sons not only is it uh, time because Jacob is exasperated not only are his wives in tune with him but but it's also a convenient time for Jacob to get away from Laban. Uh, we're told in verse 19 that uh, Laban and his sons and workers were away shearing the sheep. We may not think very much about it, but the tradition was in that day was that when you sheared sheep that you went away from your home and you spent long hours working at this, and oftentimes there was a bit of partying that, will go, that went on. Uh, you may uh, remember the story of Nabal and uh, Abigail and the... Uh, The partying that uh, Nabal was involved with uh, uh, when uh, uh, he didn't give any of his partying to David and his followers. So it was a big time, but it was a time that that, that, uh, took everybody away, and so that gave Jacob and all that were with him a chance to get a real nice head start on Laban before he even found out that they left. So there are are all these uh, conveniences, if you will, uh, that make it possible for Jacob uh, to get away from Laban. And to get away from Padanaram, but the overriding reason for Jacob's departure uh, was the command of Yahweh that he would return to his homeland. I'm not sure exactly how this direction came to uh, to Jacob. In verse 3, we read, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And when he's explaining this to his wives, uh, he, he tells them about, about uh, a dream that he had. And he says there that God said to him in this dream, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed me a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return. To the land of your kindred. Whether this direction was two different dreams or two different visions or it was all one and Jacob reports it at two different times, the text is just not, not, tells us this. But what is clear is that God tells Jacob, it's time for you to go back home, it's time for you to return. And he identifies himself by telling him that you're supposed to go back to Bethel. Uh, you may remember a long time ago, we looked at uh, what happened to Jacob at Bethel. And that was where he met God, this place where he, uh, uh, God came to him in that, that uh, dream. Uh, Jacob's ladder was there, uh, if you will. And uh, uh, God made promises to him. He reiterated to, to Jacob, basically, the promises that he had made to Abraham and the promises that he had made to Isaac. And now Jacob is told that he will come back again here. Yahweh will bring him back again here. So so we see this command then comes to Jacob. And we see the reasons, if you will, why Jacob now decides to leave Paddan Aram and to go back to Bethel once again. But As is typical in the case of Jacob, everything is not smooth sailing. Uh, There are just more than a few complications uh, that come into this return to home. And as uh, Jacob and his family make their escape, one of the complicating factors has already started. And what is that complicating factor? Well, his favorite wife, Rachel, has stolen her dad's gods. These gods have probably come up to us before. You may recall that that Laban said, I found out that God blesses you and I get good from that. And I found that out by divination. And it's altogether likely that these gods were what he used to find out that the blessings that were coming to him were really coming because of God's favor to Jacob. Now, we don't know very much about them. You may know the, even know the Hebrew word though about it. It's teraphim uh, that's used there. And this idea of teraphim comes up in other places. But we don't know what these gods were like. Were they little miniature people or something like that? Uh, sometimes they were small. We know that they were small here. Uh, Rachel's able to put them in something like a camel saddlebag and sit on them. But we also know that sometimes they could be quite big. Uh, you may remember the story of when uh, Saul wanted to get after, after David and what did his wife Michael do? She put a teraphim in the bed, put some, something on its head, pulled the blankets all up. When the soldiers came, they thought David was there in bed, uh, and so they didn't get him. So we've seen these come up, and we don't really know uh, just exactly what they are. There's some kind of, of gods uh, that, that are here, and uh, uh, we do know that, uh, that uh, uh, Rachel steals them. But, but why does Rachel steal them? Why does Rachel take them? And it's interesting to read commentaries as they try to explain why Rachel stole them. Some of them say, well, it was a tradition in that era that if you had the family teraphim, then you were the one who got the inheritance. And that sounds very good when you begin to think of it, but it's also a tradition that women did not inherit. It was always went to men, went to the boys, went to the sons. Uh, That was both in Israel and other countries as well, and other nations as well. So that doesn't seem to make sense either. Some say Rachel was just angry with her dad, and she thought this is a good way to to fix him. So this was a spite theft, if you will. My own take on the matter is that Rachel is not an exclusive worshiper of Yahweh that she wants these gods to go with them, and she wants these gods to go with them, if you will, as I call it, a little bit of... heavenly insurance. Uh, You know, Yahweh can deliver us, but just in case, I want to take these along with us. Uh, That's my take on why Rachel steals these gods. But anyway, uh, after uh, three days, Laban hears Jacob has fled, and uh, uh, the text tells us uh, that uh, uh, Laban perceives that that Jacob had deceived him. It's a very fascinating word. After it talks about, we hear about uh, uh, Rachel stealing the gods, uh, the, the, the word actually means that that Jacob, that, uh, Jacob stole Laban's heart. Uh, uh, the first question we have is, could anybody steal anything from Laban the thief? And the second question is, does Laban have a heart? Uh, you know, I mean, those two things sort of go together when we think about Laban. Uh, but when Laban hears this, he gathers some of his relatives. And he pursues them for seven days before he finally catches up with this slower party, if you will, of uh, Jacob and all of his family and all of his herds and things of that. The text does tell us that Jacob has crossed the Euphrates, crossed the river, and that's, that's important because this means Jacob has broken, if you will, uh, with the geographic area that would be more associated with Syria, with Aram, with uh, Paddan Aram, and that kind of thing, and so he's closer to coming home if you will uh, getting back to to Bethel in this part Um, and uh, uh, I take it that Laban's intent is is uh, is to bring back the party of Jacob Uh, it's clear that he wants to bring back his he thinks it's uh, that he should be able to bring back his own daughters and that he ought to also be able to bring back his grandchildren Uh, I think we also are not uh, engaged in idle uh, speculation to think that Laban also wants to bring back all the wealth of Jacob. I mean, this is a pattern that has characterized Laban in everything that we have seen. And so Laban overtakes them, and he overtakes them, uh, it seems to me, with the notion in mind that it's all his, as he says in the text, and he's going to bring it all back. It's all going back to Paddan Aram with him. He believes that it all belongs to him. But on the very night that uh, uh, Laban arrives at Gilead where Jacob was camped, Yahweh intervenes. God comes to Jacob by way of, uh, to Laban by way of a dream and he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And, and it's difficult to know exactly what those words mean because when you read it, my first impression is uh, Laban is pretty quick to say some at least not nice things uh, uh, to Jacob, you know, why did you deceive me, why did you steal, why did you uh, take my daughters away at knife point almost, uh, we'll look at that in a minute, uh, you see but but uh, so, so it doesn't seem that, that uh, uh, th- th- these words from Yahweh just meant uh, uh, don't say anything to him, uh, many commentators argue that what this means is don't implement anything with regard to to Jacob, don't interfere in any way, either in a good way or in a bad way. And so it's not just saying words, but it's saying things and then implementing those words as we go, as he goes along. Um, we don't know if uh, this was all of the communication, all that's recorded here, but there may have also been warnings on the part of Yahweh when he spoke uh, to uh, to Laban in this dream. But we just we just don't have that for us. Uh, now, when Laban uh, confronts uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, he, he accuses uh, Jacob of forcefully taking his family away from him. Now uh, in verse 26 he says, what have you done? You have tricked me and driven away my, ca- my daughters uh, like captives of the sword. Now this is typical Labanese, if you will, uh, overkill trying to make uh, uh, Jacob look bad. But we have to remember, we also know what the what the wives said. We know what Laban's daughter said. He treats us like a foreigner. He sold us like slaves. All the money and stuff that we have that he has it really belongs to us. It's ours. You do exactly what God told you to do, Jacob. And so there was no knife point, there were no captives, if you will. Now this is just over, overstatement by, on the part of, um, of Laban as he comes here. Laban adds also, and not only did you take them away at knife point, uh, uh, captives, but you didn't allow me to throw a nice big party, you know, where we could have had mirth, where we could have brought out the tambourines and we could have had dancing. And I see some smiles on your faces out there because you know who Laban is. You know, Laban doesn't do this. This is not Laban's style. This is not the way he does. Laban is not a giver. Laban is a getter. Uh, he's not even a getter. He's a taker. You see, that's, that's the kind of character he is. And so again, I t- judge that he's just uh, engaged in a kind of uh, a braggadocio, if you will. And, uh, um, uh, but as he's engaged in this braggadocio, he remembers, God came to me last night and he said, don't say anything good or don't say anything bad about Jacob. And so Laban says that he's able to do evil. He said, I'm I'm able to do harm to you, he tells him. But as he tells him this, he also has in the back of his mind what it is that uh, 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 God has said to him. And it is altogether likely that Laban could have done harm to to Jacob. I mean, you have to remember, Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, is, you know, he's less than 20 years old. We know that. He's probably 19, something like that. Uh, And he's the oldest. Joseph is probably six years old. And everybody else in Jacob's party is probably a hired servant. And so it would not be hard for Laban who had brought his sons and probably other relatives and long-term servants with him. Uh, but uh, Laban wisely recognizes that Yahweh is on uh, Jacob's side and so he uh, identifies him as a matter of fact and he, he, he actually mollifies his bluster, if you will, when he acknowledges to Jacob and says, I recognize that you wanted to, had to go back to your, long greatly for your father's house. He sees Jacob as being um, uh, homesick, if you will. But I'm struck by the irony of uh, Laban calling Jacob a deceiver. This has happened before as we've looked at this. He's accusing him of deception. This is Laban who on the night of Jacob's wedding to Rachel sneaks Leah in. And by doing that, and by deceiving Jacob, he manages to get another seven years of, laban, of labor out of Jacob. And yet he's the one who, who uh, uh, is engaged in this kind of deception, and he's accusing uh, Jacob of it. <clears throat> but Jacob himself, when, when Laban accuses him of being a, not only a deceiver, but also a thief, Jacob is ignorant of the fact that Rachel has stolen the gods. And, and so Jacob really uh, endangers Rachel with his, uh, with his statement. He says, I didn't take your gods, and whoever you find who have taken your gods, don't let them live. They're not going to live. In other words, he's saying, the person who did this, it's a capital offense, and we're going to do them in. And I, Jacob, the text tells us that uh, Jacob did not know uh, that Rachel had uh, stolen it. We see that in verse 32. And then we have the rest of the story that comes along with with a rather dramatic way in which uh, it describes how how Laban searches. He goes, first of all, into uh, Jacob's tent. Can't you just see him as you read that? You know, going through everything, you know. And then he leaves uh, Jacob's tent and he goes uh, to Leah's tent, uh, you know. And he goes to each of the uh, servants' tents. And finally he comes to Rachel's tent. And all that I can say is, when he goes into Rachel's tent, Laban met his match. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You see, because he comes in, and what does Rachel say? Let me paraphrase it Daddy, please forgive me for not standing up when you come in here, but I'm having my period now, and I just can't stand up. And I can just see Laban. Oh, 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 oh okay. Uh, He looks a little bit more, and he walks out. The deceiver is deceived. But when he walks out of that tent, uh, what does he confront? He confronts a renewed Jacob, because Jacob really lays into him. And he goes through that long litany of the way in which he worked and how he worked so hard and how he suffered all those years, 14 years for my wives, uh, you know, then another six years for the animals, uh, the way in which he has uh, uh, suffered in all of these kinds of things, he he goes through all of this. He lays all of this out. This whole catalog of complaints about the way in which Laban has has treated him, and he reiterates many of the things that that he told his wives earlier on when he had them out in the field talking to them. Uh, But the important thing I think for us to catch here is that Jacob attributes all that he has to the blessing of Yahweh. And he identifies God as the God of Abraham. And he also identifies Yahweh as the fear of Isaac. And this is a strange way to describe God, uh, to describe Yahweh. And if you read the commentaries, uh, they have all sorts of suggestions about why it is that he is called the, uh, the fear of Isaac. Um, I guess I just have a simple mind, but it strikes me that it's just patently obvious why he's called the fear of Isaac. This word is also sometimes translated dread. And that is, when you approach this God who has this kind of power, when you approach Yahweh, you ought to approach him fearing him. You ought to approach him with a little bit of dread. And I don't think it's by accident that Yahweh is described this way in the midst of the confrontation with Laban. Laban who has said that he could do ill to to Jacob and and the warning that he gets here that uh, 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 Yahweh rebuked Laban the night before. See, I think all this fits together, and so this idea of of the fear of Isaac is not some strange, uh, fascinating theological thing. It just is a description. This is the God, and this is the way in which you ought to have to do with him. Now, Laban responds to Jacob's uh, uh, accusations, uh, what I call a little bit of attempt at uh, face-saving. The essence of what uh, Laban offers is to say, well, look, uh, these uh, these uh, women, these wives, and these children, they really do belong to me. That's, that's the way in which they are, and therefore they don't belong to Jacob. And, uh, but I, I take it that, that, that Laban understands the futility of what he's about. He knows he's not going to get any place with this. And so he not only tells Jacob these things about all this belongs to me, but then he goes on and he says, let's make a covenant And and what he's asking for is a big switch in their relationship. You see, this covenant is going to be a covenant that's drawn up between two equal parties, And the covenant that they're going to draw up is a covenant that's very much like other ones that appear in the ancient Near East. It's kind of a a peace treaty, if you will. It takes the pattern of an ancient Near Eastern peace treaty, if you will. And so any further relationship between, between Laban and Jacob will be governed by covenant. For all of Laban's claims that everything that Jacob has belongs to Laban, the covenant of this type establishes that Laban is wrong and that these things really do belong to Jacob because now Jacob is Laban's equal. Now the agreement contains things that uh, uh, that we see in similar covenants of the time. Uh, It also has this this little statement in there that, that in this covenant that Jacob has to promise that he will honor his wives and if he takes another wife, And I don't know if you're struck by the irony of that. I mean, how did Jacob get to be a bigamist? How? (laughs) Daddy did it. (laughs) You see, it was Laban who brought Leah into the tent in the night that it was supposed to be Rachel, and that marriage was consummated, and then Jacob worked for another week, and he got Rachel. It was Jacob became a bigamist because of what Laban did just so Laban could get fourteen years of labor out of him. That's exactly what was going on here. So this this covenant is established. It's established and sealed with a sacrificial, with a sacrifice, and also with with a meal. And basically, what these stones and pillars that they set up, uh, they, they they are designed to to be warnings, if you will. They're memorials, and they're designed to be warnings. And basically, what they say is Jacob you don't come past Mizpah. And they say, Laban, you don't go the other way past Mizpah. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stop right here. That's going to be the way in which we work. It seems to me that we see now Laban is actually frightened of what Jacob is about. And so we see the ascendancy here of Jacob. Now, as we look at this, this is a in my mind, a fascinating story. It's got its ins and outs. It's got all these things. Many of us are familiar with the story. And when we go back over and again, we see ironic kinds of things. We see uh, this, this character Laban uh, portrayed for us in, in a way in which is consistent with him being uh, uh, the, the deceiver and in uh, all of those things. Uh, but in the midst of this uh, drama, uh, uh, we need to remember what is going on. Jacob has been told by God, you are to go back to Bethel. In all these incidents, we see Yahweh working out the various details to fulfill the promises that he made to Jacob before Jacob went to Paddan Aram. And remember why Jacob went to Paddan Aram. We may have forgotten that. Now one of the reasons why he went there was because his father sent him there and Isaac sent Jacob to Padan Aram and to Laban to what? To get a wife. Okay. But Rebekah also was involved in this. And remember Rebekah? She sent him there to get a wife, but what else did she send him there for? To get away from his murderous brother, Esau, because Rebekah and Jacob had really cheated and deceived Esau, you see. So he's, he's escaping. Now, God comes to him, and he tells him that he's to go back, and I can't help but wondering, as Moses writes this down, as he records this incident, my judgment is Moses probably recorded this incident sometime when the children of Israel were on their journey from Egypt to where? To the promised land, to Canaan, to where Bethel was. They're both doing the same things, and I can't can't for the life of me, uh, not come to the conclusion that as Moses writes these down, he thinks, Jacob is going home. Jacob is going to the place where promises are fulfilled. And Moses, I can't imagine he didn't think. And we are going to the place of promise, to the land of promise. And as Jacob, as, as Moses writes these things down, It it just has to come to his mind. Perhaps he hopes that that Israel will recall the story about Jacob and that they will incline to persevere in reaching their goal, reaching home. And then I think, that's not so different from us, is it? We're on a trip. We're on a journey. And the New Testament picks up the promised land And what does it tell us about the promised land? The promised land is our home. The promised land is heaven. It's the new earth and we're on that journey. We're on our way going there. That's what we're on. That's that's the same kind of thing. And I trust that you're encouraged that your entry into heaven itself is not determined by how well you do on the journey. Jacob and his family arrived in Canaan by God's grace. Moses and the Israelites arrived in Canaan in the promised land by God's grace. And brothers and sisters, if you hope to get to heaven you're only going to get there by God's grace because a gracious God in heaven looked upon you and saw you in all the ugliness of your sin, saw you in all the sin that was just like the sins that we have seen in Jacob. And Jesus Christ came in the, upon this earth and he died upon this earth. He suffered upon the cross and as he's suffering upon the cross, he's bearing those very sins that we committed. And I say again, if you imagine that you're going to get to heaven, you're only going to get there by God's grace. In the passage, uh, we find uh, charges and countercharges. There's intrigue uh, as uh, Jacob the cheater meets with Laban the deceiver for a last time. And uh, as I read the text, I'm sure some of you thought, as I mentioned before, these people are a mess. That's the only way you can describe them. I see lots of evil, but I don't see much good. And your evaluation is very correct. But let me remind you once again, they're going home, and they're only going home by God's grace One day, those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus will celebrate an eternal Sabbath, as Larry mentioned in his prayer, and you will be in heaven. And as you ponder that journey, I'm sure that you will arrive at a similar evaluation as you did of Jacob's family. If you're like I am, you will say, I see much evil and not a lot of good. I see more evil oftentimes then I see good. But you will be there if you get to heaven by God's grace, the grace offered to us in Jesus Christ our Savior. And I'm, for one, glad I can stand before you this night and say I'm so glad that the Spirit of God worked in my heart and told me that you get to heaven only by God's grace of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad for that. I rejoice in that. How about you? How about you? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we see your word and we see evil and ugliness and we see the horror of wrongdoing all around, and yet we are reminded of ourselves. But we not only see evil, we also see you there, O Lord God in heaven. And we see you there as the gracious one, as the loving one, as the redeeming God. And so we come to you this night. And we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for your redeeming mercies that have been shown to us, O Lord Jesus. And we pray, Sovereign Spirit, that you will remind us again and again of your goodness, your love, and your grace. And that we will live as those who have been filled with the grace that comes only from you. Gracious God, hear our prayer this night. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.